I discovered some records. Uh, I said, what kind of records are these? Yeah, they, they were mixed already. I said, and the, the other DJ who was uh, in the small club, they had two clubs. It was upstairs was a big floor. And then the small floor, they had also record collection. They had these copies like, I said, what the fuck is this? They have <laughs> disco nets, you know, disco. Uh, the, the ones who know, they know disco net. So I was say, whoa, what the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are mixed already. Bobby DJ Guta Gutadoro and uh, Valapucci and uh, who else? And a lot of guys mixed. You know, the volume one, volume two was at that time. I said, oh, I need these two. So and I, and I said, uh, I found out you know where to write. And then I, there was a telephone number. I think I was there was a or some somewhere was a telephone number. Yes, there was a telephone number on the back side. There was telephone numbers. Yeah, and uh, so I said, oh, I called New York. I said, Mama, I need to send to call uh, in New York City. I said, okay. So I called, uh, and then it was uh, on the phone was Mike, Mike Wilkinson. I said, hey, what do you want? Hey, I said, I'm a DJ from Germany. I like to sub subscription. How do we can do this? Yeah, yeah, you need to pay 1,500 or 1,200 German marks, and then we send you the record. I said, okay. I make a, a bank transfer, send me everything, uh, what I wrote down in the, the transfer number, and I said, I sent this, this was a lot of money, you know, because the shipping, ship, shipping was very expensive for DiscoNet. So I was one of the first subscribers of DiscoNet in 1980. So, and uh, then uh, I got my first record, what I got, uh, the first one I got was, was this. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. This was the first one I got. The Volume 3, Program 7. It was uh, Patrick Corley Mega Mix from Donald Summer iPhone. Oh, Mega. legendary! legendary. My first copy when I received the two, the two from from my subscription, and I said, "What the fuck?" So the, then, uh, uh, I changed in nineteen eighty, and that was nineteen eighty one, I think. Uh, the uh, this the the, the subscription from uh, Disco. So then uh, I started playing uh, in nineteen eighty one. I started playing in this big club, the Trinity, when I was seventeen. And yes, um, I played, you know, when I, I was the um, one of the only one who had this Donna Summer. And it was, you know, it was like when you played this, you know, the people were, you know, they were waiting all the time until you played the Donna Summer. This was uh, in the evening, the biggest thing of, of the night. So and then I discovered how to intro, intro it. And I played, I just, uh, you know, I was always working with intros, with effects, like uh, whatever, you know, I used uh, racing cars and trains running through the records and i discovered also sprach zarathustra from richard strauss you know so i played this as the intro for i feel love and then uh it was crazy and the funny thing about this record was you know i played this uh i was i think i played there six six weeks so when I, since I started, and uh, then uh, there was a guy came in, hey, I, I can't just get this record nowhere. I said, yes, because this is uh, only, there are only 500 copies in the world. He said, I want to, I want to have this. I said, okay, you can buy it for 1,000 marks if you want. He said, well, what's 1,000 marks? I almost spit my coffee out when you said that. You can have for $900. Yes. So, so okay, I, next weekend when I come, uh, um, I give back the money. So next the week after, next Saturday, he came to the club and gave me, you know, the, there was still a 1,000 German mark bill. Uh, bill. <laughs> give me the 1,000 mark. And I gave him, I gave him, yeah, yeah, you have the, now your record. So, Monday morning, 
No, one Monday after Monday around six seven o'clock, I called New York City Disco. Then, hello, uh, this is Jens Lissert from uh, Germany. Uh, my copy from I Feel Love is broken. Can you send me a new one? <laughs> I broke it with a disco pack. Look at this guy. Look at Jen. Look at Jens. How he looked. How cute he looked back. You see. You see. Uh, look. Look. You see on top. And uh, the, the very right record on top. This is the Donna Summer Disco that I feel mega love. You can see? see yes. <laughs> everybody look. Take a good look, everybody. Yeah. History right there from the, from the Studio 54 Trinity nightclub. Yes. Yeah, Trinity. Yeah. So uh, so they sent me they sent me a new copy. <laughs> so there was and you were a thousand and you were a thousand marks richer, right? Yes. <laughs> this was crazy. What's the highest uh, the highest record I ever? I thought you were gonna tell me something like, well, not only did I sell the guy the record, but then he went and pressed it and created all the bootlegs around Europe with that. I was like, oh, I was gonna say, wow. Okay, yes, good. There were there were a lot of bootlegs, you know, around. I you know, remember. There was a lot of bootlegs of that Patrick Cowley, Menergy, um, Nick. You know, there was, every- you know, my friends, Carsten and Stefan, you know, they made a, made a, they made a, they are from Hamburg. They made a bootleg series. I don't know if you're, if you're popular, familiar with it. They made a bootleg, like, they were called CS. You know CS? I don't remember CS that. CS bootlegs. I don't know. Do I have something here? I, 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 I have, have They made us this series where I have it in the, in the other room. You know, I can... If you want to, uh, no. wait. Oh. So he's remember now. Let's go back. Let's recap. So he gets his first gigs, and he tells everyone he's eighteen. And we all did that back then. We all said we were a lot older than we were, including me. I took my cousin's license. No, no, I have, I have, no they were looking yeah. like this. Yes, I remember that. It. Yes, yes. And they, this is also I feel mega love. You know. <laughs> They, were, they, they did all these CS pressing together because CS was for Carsten and Stefan. Carsten and Stefan. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know, and then you know what I did with them. You know, I made we made we made this uh, this uh, we made a disconnect bo- uh, bootleg <laughs> with Marlena Shaw. Touch me in the morning. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, we made a lot of a lot of strange things, you know. And after that, we 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 changed it. To this, because uh, it was not so cool to, to, to copy this. You know what that looks like? That looks like the ZYX pressings. <laughs> yeah, it looks like <laughs> <laughs> ZYX back in the day. Yes, yeah. But yes, yes this is a question I have for you. You had, you talk about you're, you're doing the, the phase shifting with the turntables and you're learning how to do the double beating and the one beats behind the echo effect and stuff. There was nobody around you that was doing anything like this? No, no, nobody. nobody. Because, you know, we only had the American DJs who were who played at the Trinity who showed us mixing, you know, because uh, but there was one DJ in Germany. He paid, uh, he paid a lot of money for, you know, the, the female DJ, what I told you about, uh, this uh, Sharon Lee. Does anybody know Sharon Lee? Can someone please find her? <laughs> yeah. yeah, New York DJ and Sharon Lee. I never heard this Sharon Lee lady. Does anybody knows knows this lady? She played yes, in Paris. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, just ask around. You know what's you know. even crazy? You know what's even crazy? When we all started coming over to play, you know, traveling as house DJs, we were always wondering who were some of the disco DJs because 
to tell you the truth, there was nobody around to ask. <laughs> there was nobody around. There was you had the ones like Jelly Bean, of course, and yeah. but they were playing at their clubs in New York. You didn't hear about them traveling across the ocean to play yet, yeah. like it is now. But go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You know, there are, you know, for example, that in, in Frankfurt they had a club called the Dorian Gray, which was uh, the base for, for the US soldiers, you know. Uh, this was the zone of the US, US military after the Second World War. And they had also uh, in the Frankfurt some army, some, some black clubs where maybe they mixed, but, you know, I was, uh, you know, so as far as I know, you know, the one, the first German mixing DJ was before I discovered mixing was this guy was called Peter Römer. He's a, he was famous. He, he learned from Sharon Lee. He paid her that she, that she taught him mixing. And then he uh, was really good in mixing, you know, I, 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 he was a friend of mine in the, about 1980s, not a close friend, but you know, he was a resident DJ before I started playing in, in the Trinity and he, he changed then yeah, to Spain. Yeah, was, was Sharon Lee black or white? Who? Sharon Lee? Was she, she was blonde. blonde. She, she was a blonde white girl. Who the hell is Sharon Lee? Because at the I time, have photos, you know, I have photos so, on, uh, at the on, time, at the time when you're talking, okay. Richie Kazar was there. Nikki Ciano. Then Kenny Carpenter took over in 1980. There was Robbie Leslie. There was uh, Roy Thode. I never heard of this female. Uh, Sharon White. Never heard of this female DJ. So maybe it just a, was just a promotion gig for opening the club. But she was she could mix. But you know, I had I had tapes from her uh, where she made the overlays. But for me, it was not. She was not very good at mixing, you know. She blended the records one to the other and back and forth. She was playing with two copies of some tracks, but the mixes, you know, what I what I my, I've heard mixing, you know, after when I heard, you know, also when I when I heard David be gone, I can't remember because it was my first night in 1979. I when the, the DJ I know get to know at first was uh, Charles McRae, my friend, also from New York. I can, uh, he's very old now. He's about 60, 70 now. But he can tell you stories about the Trinity because maybe he's living around your area. We, uh, I will, we will find him out. We'll find him. Well, and but it's good. It's really good. I need you to, you know, it's good because I want to get the history out of this Hamburg thing because this is new to me. This is like fresh information. I'm like, wow. First of all, the names of the DJs you're mentioning, I'm going, Mm. Yes, you should have seen the club. You know, the club is, the club is one thing. I know Richard did it. I know Richard's work was always sensational, even when he did clubs that were not just Paradise Garage. He yeah. did, very, did many, many clubs. I wish I, I would have seen the garage, you know. The only thing I would, I, I, I've ever seen uh, the location of the Studio 54, I saw when um, I was in, at the New Music Seminar in 19... You know, what year was, what year was um, uh, uh, Crystal Waters? Um, Homeless. Uh, 88. 88. And, uh, New music there, seminar, right? New music yes, seminar. I was, I was that, that, uh, this year I was in New York for the new music seminar. And, and that night, the Studio 54 opened for one night, I think. It was only open for one night and Crystal Waters was on stage. I remember that. And I, we went there, you know, my, my partner, you know, you have the photo from, from the studio. The one with a... Uh, you have the photo? I Peter see. Harder, this is a studio. Hold on, let me go to the let me go to the photos. You, you the one in the studio? 
the one in the studio yeah, with the two guys you know what this is my ex-partner he's he's now he's not living he's, he's dead but you mean, this, you mean this photo this is yeah this is peter harder and uh, this is my partner where, where he taught me to produce and uh, uh in the back it's me and we have this promo and uh, this atari st 1040 st computer yes. with a notator program yes oh, it, <laughs> it was the best Jans. it was the best yeah and when you did okay, let me show you my little Jans with this little look how cool and the tr909 <laughs> look at him he's got the cigarette he's yes, got yeah, and the computer and the, and he had to wait the, you saw your synthesizer you know the synth oh yeah i know the synth dx7 i could yeah, stick exactly. it right out you kidding dx7 and then oh, the, the back in the back, it was the sampler, the Casio sampler, which could sample one second. <laughs> is that the FZ10M, if I remember correctly? I don't know. I can't remember the name. It was the Casio uh, Black. Uh, I had one. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh, wow, we got a Casio sampler, everybody. Whoa, yeah, we oh, yeah. Oh, one second. second. And then you had to clean up the samples and truncate them down to make more yes. room for the other thing. Oh, yes. crazy. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> crazy times. So where, 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 where so you were at New Music Seminar, you went to Studio 54. Yeah, all right. I saw, the, I saw the location, you know. But let me just clarify. Let me clarify to everybody. When he went there, I've, I've just started playing at that time at Studio. They took the original Richard system was out. Which you but heard it wasn't, was the, wasn't it that, that that it was only open for one night. It yeah, but we were doing night. we were doing at that time 1988. They they brought in um they brought in Larry Levan on the Thursday night, garage night. They brought Louis Vega in, Freddie Bastone. I was oh, yeah, playing yeah, from yeah. Bear Jones. But we had the Claire... <laughs> God bless it. We had the horrible Claire Brothers sound system. The Richard Long system was already gone. <laughs> so you heard it was like, oh, you just saw the room. And the room was ripped apart already. Yeah, yeah, very crazy. It was so big. It was really... Uh, it's, big room. It was big. Yeah, it was like a big room. You know, so it was crazy. <laughs> And I, and I was so hey, what well, this is a studio before, like uh, yeah, it was not like the you know, I even at that time you know, I didn't see any photos of, of the studio 54 because 88 from the press there was nothing, you know, we had no internet, nothing, there were no newspapers, we had not even there was no book like about the 54. So I didn't know how the studio 54 was looking like in 88 when I entered there. I never saw a photo before. So let's so, think on the lesson here. Let me just put this up too, because we're on 87, 88. Look what he oh, gets. For the best mixed DJ in Hamburg, 1987. Yes. Oh. The hands of holding yes. the final, the hands of the best yes. ever. <laughs> I was also, I was also in 1970 and 1988. I was the vice champion of Disco Mix Club. You know, I was a champion scratcher. Was that Tony King's thing, the DMC? That's yeah, Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony Prince. Tony Prince. Tony. I had you. Tony. Yeah, yeah. But we are, you know, we are, we have been missing some years, you know. Uh, so go back. So I was, back. you know, so back to the disco thing. So when I, it was 1970, 70, 79 at the end of the year, and I discovered, you know, I was making my mixtapes, and I, I discovered the tape deck, the pause, the pause button. I said, oh wow, this is cool, you know, because I was, I was doing uh, my mix, my my, and I was recording, you know, 30, 30 minutes of the sixty minutes cassette, and then uh, the mix. Had, had a mistake, you know, so I, the, wasn't, the beats were not, not the, the mix was shit. So I said, wow, okay, so man, then I have to start from all over again. I said, okay, then I rewinded it and I said, hey, 
maybe it's cool if I can stop it and start at the point, you know, where the mix was shit. <laughs> so <laughs> we all did that too, everybody. Oh, everybody remembers having sure. a go. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I discovered the pause, the pause <laughs> button on the tape deck. And I said, and then, and then I um, uh, re- start to do it. And, uh, and when I was done with the 30 minutes, I, I rewinded it back to the point where I said, hey, wow, that's cool. This is, uh, you can't hear nothing. It just was like, it's, uh, so I, this is where I said, oh, maybe I can, I can cut or chop some other things, you know. So this is how I discovered editing, you know. So I didn't know anything about it. This is by, by, by incident, by my, myself, I discovered uh, editing my own tapes so it's a pause button so then i started doing my medleys you know i i, I took 10 of my favorite records i made uh, i recorded the breaks of the tracks the best parts of the tracks and make the pause one two three and then and then uh, one two three and then off again the next one the mix so i, I, I did my own medley so 10 15 minutes long and and every week I did a new medley. Then I just said, okay, let's do some uh, edits of the tracks which are existing, you know, make the, the, take the break parts twice or, uh, or three times out of the track. And then, and then I have my own edits to, to play maybe uh, sometime. I did, then I, then I, um, I uh, met this guy, uh, these guys, you know, Carsten and Stefan, I told you with the CS bootlegs. I said, hey, where do you do these bootlegs? I want to, I have medleys on my tape. I want to press my own medleys. I say, yeah, you can give us, you know, the medleys. We can put some on on our CES pressings. And I um, went to the cutting studio. They give me the address from the cutting studio where they where they cut, uh, where they do the, the the masters. So and then I I did my, you know, I discovered to do uh, like this. This is my first uh, acetate. You know, I did an. Uh, it still smells really like an acetate. You know, this is because this is something different. It's not a vinyl. This is a, yeah, I'm very proud of my first acetate. <laughs> yeah. So this is how I discovered editing. I did editings in starting maybe at the end of 1979. And nobody, I don't know, my, my friend, one of my friends also started. I showed him how to do it. And he started also. And, and then other friends started doing to do these things. And then uh, um, my friends, Carsten, and Stefan, Stefan said, "Hey, we have a reel-to-reel now." I said, "What is a reel-to-reel?" That's a big, that's a big thing because that's a sonic so, wow. improvement. Whoa! Yeah, so, wow. well, she, you need what to is this reel-to-reel? Come, come to my apartment. Yeah, I'll show you all the, what, what's going. And then there was maybe 1981. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was 81. I said, "Wow!" I said, "Wow!" What, what? And he said, "Hey, look how we can do. It. You can put this, and then you could lay it down, and then you mark it with a." a and then, then you put it there, and then you make it with a, you chop it, and then uh, you, you take the next part and chop it again, and then you put it, put them together again, and put the what's the name of it? Uh, the, the editing tape. The, the editing tape. Right? And then you yeah, editing tape, and then it sounds you know you don't hear any beats. It's just tight. I said, wow, what the fuck? I need this too. <laughs> <laughs> I need this too. <laughs> so I bought a, a Refox. I was thinking uh, you get a Rebox because that's what was around in Europe at that time, the Rebox. Yeah, Rebox, a PR99. And then I started doing editing tapes, bootlegs. You know, I was, you know, I was the king of bootlegs, you know, in the in the 80s. I think, you know, I, I pressed 1,000 copies. I went to with the bootlegs to, well, I have maybe, do I have some here? Yes. 
Parker. Careful, young. You know, I, Careful, young. People are still alive. Good times, bootleg. Then I did mega, mega tracks. Uh, the real master. Mi it's got the real master mix. I did the wow, the, the Christmas special copy. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did. I have. I have. You know, I have a little tons of of my own bootlegs. And then I did uh, a copy, uh, a series called Rare Classics. You know the rare 12 inches, which are very low, very low copies. I put two or three of uh, rare copies on one pressing and on the B side, and so there's uh, four or six tracks on the rare copies. So was that's what I did, you know? And it was good money. I paid for one record. I paid five marks, and I sold it for 15. You know, so on this side, way, on this side of the world, there was a guy named George. <laughs> Bootlegger, that was yes, doing yes, that as well. Really, you know? <laughs> well, it was fun, you know, doing this. It was, you know, it, it was an adventure, you know, to see how uh, playing your own stuff in the club, you know, and because I couldn't produce. So that's before I I produced my first thing, and then uh, yeah. By the way, I have a very nice one here. You know, you know, but this is the uh, this is the. Uh, no, Oh, Edwin Starr, okay. The Valpucci, yeah, I'm that. Yep. But just look at the serial number. One. This is number one. This is the first copy which was released. You know, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> Should so, be. Yeah. So then uh, in 1984, it was, you know, I was, um, uh, I changed the club. I was, you know, from, from Trinity, I went to um, a phone club where only black music was called Third World in Hamburg. I played only the 81, 82 stuff from the Prelude and, uh, and all these stuff, you know, like Daniel Morgan, all these, what's coming on US import, you know, then the new, the new funky sound from the States. Yeah, so disco was dead. No, it was not dead, but it was not anymore. They, they, they just started with Klein MBO with Italo disco or the beginning of high energy maybe. And, uh, but uh, it went, to, to funky music. So it slowed, the circle was really slowing down. There were only things uh, which disco was uh, the Bobby Orlando stuff in the beginning, 81, 82, like Lime and uh, whatever, Bobby O and the Flirts and all these stuff. And the other thing in, the, in this club, there was only funky music, but um, I missed playing more, more and more energy music. So okay. I, I only, only stayed there maybe six, three months in this club. And then I went back to Trinity 82. There was a time starting with Italo disco also. And we had this thing called the, the, the Neue Deutsche Welle, the new German, how do you say that, synthy pop area with Nena, 99 Red Balloons, and all this German uh, German neo, uh, neo um, stuff, uh, synthesizer stuff, uh, like Deutsch Amerikanische Freundschaft, Der Mussolini, and all these stuff, the synthesized. Uh, was it uh, was Kraftwerk? Was Kraftwerk part of that too? Yeah, Kraftwerk was was before that. They started seventy seven or seventy five. They started, but this was something else. It was the new German wave with uh, with all these things or or Los Niños del Parque, which was very famous. One of the biggest tracks uh, from Italy that came the the, the electronics, uh, the uh, Italo disco stuff. Mm -hmm. So I changed in eighty three to a club called Zeppelin. And Zeppelin was a big room club, you know, they, they held 3,000 people. It was outside of Hamburg, it was a suburb, and, uh, and it was new because uh, 
they they wanted that uh, um, I also learned how to use the microphone. So they they loved me because I was a mixer. The DJs they had they are only my they're doing a microphone. Hey, well, now we have the new track from Howard Johnson here. Blah 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 blah. The number. Oh, now we have uh, Depeche Mode and. And I said, I was mixing, you know, so it was cool for them because they didn't know this. And uh, it was 83 and they didn't know a mixing DJ, the, the residence. <laughs> so I thought, okay, yeah, this is nice. So I learned, learned how to use a microphone also. I was doing this only rarely, you know, because I, some records I introduced, but mostly I was mixing. That's why, uh, that was my thing. And uh, one of the other DJs who came new into, the, into this disco where I was working, into the Zeppelin, he um, knew uh, um, um, a German singer. He was called Mike Marine. Mike Marine uh, is a Eurodance star, you know, from from the eighties. And he said, "Hey, you know, I have a track here. Would you would you like to see a, a real studio where we, you can remix a track officially?" I said, "Oh, well, this sounds interesting." And so um, they invited me to the Star Studio in, uh, in Hamburg. This was the studio. Do you know more than talking? Yes, I do. This is the studio where all the modern talking tracks were produced. And the engineer, uh, the Luis Rodriguez, he's the ghost producer of modern talking. But No uh, way. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a, a kind of secret. <laughs> well, you know. Our secret's uh, no longer a secret now. That's right. <laughs> Stories. So, uh, so this is Luis Rodriguez, you know, and then we had the, you know, I first time, the first time in my life I saw a mixing desk, you know. 24 track or 48, I don't know. I think it was a 48 track mixing deck. And I said, whoa, wow, many knobs. <laughs> so I said, oh, many faders. And then uh, they had the 24 wheel uh, machine. And I said, yeah. So, and then, then he showed me, and look here, Jens, this is the kick drum, this is for the hi hats, the snare drum, the vocals, the synthesizers, you know, if every channel has uh, something, a sound on it. I said, wow, this is interesting. So, and, uh, you know, for me, it was the first time and I, I had to experience a mix, you know, studio time was very expensive to hire studio time. And so I did what I could, you know, I said, Hey, we, you know, we have to strip, we have to strip, we have to use bass drums, bass sounds only, and then comes the, the synth, the sequence sounds. And then later you can put on the vocals. So I, I, did, I did this with my DJ friend, we did this mix. And it really became a big hit, you know. It was a not not into the charts, but it really sold a lot of copies. It was called "Dancing in the Dark" from Mike Marine, very famous copy. It was all also played in the states. I I saw yesterday somewhere in, 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 the, in the disco group there that they posted Mike Marine, and uh, yeah, this was my first experience in studio in 1984. And then I did a second a second mix, and then I still kept on doing my bootlegs, and then. In 1987, because of my bootlegs, you know, uh, a record shop in, in Hamburg, they uh, asked me, hey, Jens, uh, you know, we have uh, we have Warner Records here, the, uh, uh, a label manager. He wants uh, somebody for a mega mix. I said, oh, yes, why not? You know, it's maybe a good thing because we know you and your bootlegs is good, so it work, and uh, maybe it's interesting for them. So I went to, to VR, Warner Music, in uh, Hamburg, and, uh, and I said, hey, yeah. Uh, how can I help you? Yeah, we need to, uh, we need, uh, we want to do a Phil Collins mega mix. I said, wow, Phil Collins. I said, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. And we have a studio here and you can go to the studio 
and there you can cut the 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 the, the three tracks. It was uh, Susudio, you can't hurry love and don't lose my number. These were the three tracks, and I had to make some edits and cut them together into a mega mix, the Phil Collins mega mix. So I went to to the studio, which is on the photo, to Peter Harder. I said, hey, hey, I'm Jens, and um, they want me to do a Phil Connors mega mix. And uh, yeah, he had the professional tape machine, tape half uh, half speed tape machines, not Wayfox. He had the, the studio machines, uh, Studer, I think. The big stu- Studer, yeah, two Studer uh, machines and a 24 track. Oh, he had everything there. So this was my first official uh, mix. What I did in uh, 1987, and then Peter, you know, he. He was like a, a jazz pianist, and he only made German music before I met. We met me, and then and then when we were finished with the Phil Collins tracks, hey, are you, are you interested? Maybe we can do some uh, some some tracks together. Or said, yeah, why not? And so I have a new system here called uh, um, uh, Creator from Langeling. It's a program where you can, you know, it's, it's a it's a it's a um, it's a it's a program where you can put music in, and uh, you can must. But you must have to play everything. I tell you, okay, that's cool. So this was on the Atari computer, the uh, sequencer program. So then we did. Uh, we start uh, doing um, uh, the first track, and the first track what we did was, you know, there was house music, and the first track what we ever did was this one. It's called JMJ and Hardy because me, uh, I was. Jackmaster J, Jens, Jackmaster Jens J, <laughs> and Peter Harder, Hardy, and it was called Work the House Sound. Now, yes. I have a question. Did you get the artwork idea from the FFO? International. Yeah, I was going to say, from the release yeah. of, of Pete yeah. Tong's yeah. album, Chicago House Sound. Yeah, okay. that's right, yeah. Can we, can, can we take a 30-second break or one yes. minute? I have to... Yeah. All right. So the story is getting very, very interesting. Incredible, right? Jens is, he's got a a lot of different hats. Check this out. Back, 81, he's playing. Look at him in 1987 as a DJ. Look, look at him. He's finding the hip hop style with the big gold chain. Very cool. And of course, that studio. If I, I think that's a Trident console. If I can see it, I think so. It's maybe an eighty desk. I can't. I'm not sure, but it looks like a Trident. Maybe I'm wrong, but it does look like a Trident. Everybody still trying to find out. Yes, I'm coming. Who that Sharon Lee is? All right. So, oh wait, let me tell you what somebody put up. Um, this is what came up. Uh, Sharon Lee is mentioned. Not sure if this is the one. She had blonde hair too. DJ TinaRegine.com. She talks about, she turned to, she said it's about this Sharon Lee DJ. So somebody has been, people have been researching. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so, I, I have a website, you know, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a site online called trinity-hamburg.de. If you, if, you, if you put on trinity-handbook.de, there you find the website from the Trinity. You can see the light show of old photos, and there's photos from Sharon Lee. Also from me and from other DJs, from the club, from the system, from people from 1979. There's a lot of things you can see on this homepage. Okay, so 
you were saying about the 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 house yes. now you start working on go ahead yes this was uh, the first german house record by the way so in 1986 i went to new, to new york city and um with my uh, with my yeah with my friend and uh, we were we went to uh, we went I went to I was on holiday there three day four days and I, I bought a, a um a radio recorder with with cassette function and I turned uh, I said because I was also already DJing in 1985 till 1987 I played one of the coolest clubs in Hamburg called Voila it was uh, the time where I discovered house music this was later in the Königsburg in Krefeld before that. So um, I discovered in 1986, I went to New York and um, I was listening, uh, I was tuning the radio and I said, and I said uh, you know, listening to 98.7 Kiss of M, Tony Hamford's master mix. And I said, oh, wow, cool. It was kind of it was cool music he's playing, playing. And I recorded, you know, the, the tape with the music. The next day I went to Vinyl Mania. I, I was looking for, for a record shop and they, uh, the taxi driver took me to Vinyl Mania. So I went to Vinyl Mania. I said, I have a tape here. It was like recorded. Yeah, I have some tracks here. You know, you don't need to play it to me. So you put this, 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 all house music, you know. And uh, so I went with all my new house records to Germany. <laughs> so I played house music for the first time. And uh, so the, the first one, James Silk and all these stuff, you know, and uh, Jack Yobari and uh, all the stuff. And also, which was not re really house music yet, like visual, the music got me, it was very early, huh? This was the starting of it. But I you know, know, it's funny you say that visual record because I've talked about this a few times where I really feel that that is one of the first, if you want to say house records, because it really wasn't house. Definitely, no, it wasn't. The but it was, sounds like a house record. It was, it was really, it was definitely for me, it was, the, the name was not yet invented. Maybe, uh, I don't know if the warehouse was already open in Chicago. But <laughs> so, this, uh, by the way, Boy Jarvis, rest in peace, but he was a genius on uh, on playing the move, you know, getting the dirty move, move sounds. Wow. That's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that's what <laughs> you hear on that record. That's what you hear on it. The music's got me. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, crazy things. So, um, yeah, I bought this stuff and brought it back to Hamburg and started playing house music. And, you know, as, as I told you, then to 87, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to do also house music. You know, uh, Peter in his studio, he had a, a Yamaha R RX5 drum machine, which was really sounding shit. You know, I said, what the fuck? US pressings, the productions, they have uh, a better sound. So I didn't know what it was, you know, but it was just, just discovering synthesizers and everything. So um, I went in, uh, in 80, 1987 or 80, I can't remember the year, 87 or 88. It was somehow, I went to, um, I went to, uh, to the UK and I bought uh, a 909 and in a secondhand store for 150 pounds. I bought a three or three. I bought an SH101 and three synthesizers. Yeah, I said, okay, that's cool. You know, I know I have some equipment. Uh, let's see what, what the stuff can I, I said, uh, 
Then I came in the studio and said, wow, this three or three is shit because no midi. <laughs> <laughs> we put it on the side. Does not work. I don't mean to laugh, everybody. Sorry. I mean, everybody. He's saying the things that we all said when we all went. We're like, what is this thing? There's no midi. It's got no way of functioning. You're like, what are you supposed to do with this, yeah, right? <laughs> so it was shit. <laughs> So he put to the side. He was but, but, but you know, but you know what we did. You know, we first sampled, you know, from uh, from Tyree and from uh, from Fast Eddie. We sampled uh, one second with a, a clap bass line and hired loop from uh, turn up the bass. You know, so we had a one second, uh, a one bar loop of house music. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. So, but we had nine on nine on, on some. Yeah, we had some of the first production. I show you this one. This was called the Beat Pirate. This was one of my my pseudos, the Beat Pirate, and the track was called uh, a guy called Bad. And there you can hear, I sampled the loop. It was not tight, you know. It was like a boom, shit, boom, shit. It, was, you know, <laughs> it was not really tight. It was, but it's okay. It worked. It worked. It, was, it sounded cool anyway. Yeah. Well, wait, I want to say this, everybody. <laughs> Around 87, 88, I went looking for that sound that he's talking about, that kick drum. And I went to my neighborhood musical store. I says, do you have a 909 drum machine? They says, what is that? That was already extinct already. I was finding out the 909. I said, I need the 909 kick. They didn't know what I was talking about. They says, well, let me show you this drum. This Alesis is Alesis. I says, no, that's not. I want the boom, boom, boom sound. So I know what he's talking. We were all trying to figure out. What was the drum machine these people were using? Because yeah. there was no Google. Hey, in Google, you go, what is the drum machine used in house music? There was no such thing. House music was still underground. It wasn't even yes, cool. Yes, exactly. What is this music? Electronics, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I bought an, also a 808. Uh, eight, eight, I said, what the fuck? No MIDI shit. Shit machine. <laughs> Put it on the side, you know, start working. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like this. This is garbage. This doesn't and then work. I right. six, and then I bought a 606 and I said, oh, this is, it's also no MIDI. But, you know, and then uh, I found out we could uh, we could compare the 303 with the 606 and they work together somehow, you know. But uh, this was later in the, in the beginning of the 90s. Well, and uh, so then uh, in the studio when I was with Peter Hanna. You know, uh, you don't know maybe this in America. Then uh, we did a, we produced songs, and but nothing happened really. But I was happy to do to to produce my own songs. So then we produced this track. It's called the Erdbeer. Erdbeer. You know, it's been so big. It's German. It's a German uh, German text. A famous German actor called Klaus Kinski, a very famous German actor, and it was famous because I sampled the loop from Los Niños from uh, Liaison Dangereuse. And put uh, the vocals from Klaus Kinski, German text, Ich bin so wild nach deinem Erdbomben on it. And it was uh, our first German uh, official chart hit. It went to number, it was, I don't, I don't remember, it was maybe top 15. So we made a lot of, lot of money, you know, and every, I remember that, you know, that time in the record companies, it was the EMI, this was this record. And uh, on Tuesday afternoon, they had the telefax from uh, from the media control, which is uh, responsible for the for the chart position for the next week. Right. And uh, on Tuesday afternoon uh, at five six o'clock, we were in the studio always and waiting on the telephone ring from Cologne because EMI was in Cologne and we were in Hamburg and waiting when is the telephone ringing? What is the chart position? You know, and uh, 
You know, the the first call came in. Did anybody, you are Angela at number did anybody hear the phone ring? Did anybody yeah, hear the phone ring? Ring? The phone's ringing. Quiet, quiet, everyone. Yes, we are the kings. Hello. Hello. Yes. Yes. That was crazy. Number eleven. Right? Number eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and every week it went up and up. Yeah, till till a certain point it went down again. But yeah, there were crazy things. But that's know, a great. Right? See, but you see, but that's a feeling. People have to understand. You you, you know you got to realize you're coming from something that never existed in your mind to now you're in a studio. Well, wait. You become to play in a big club. You then learn how to edit. Then you work in the studio doing a mega mix. And then you're on to a point where you're getting a record that you go, oh, my God, we're in the chart now, in the pop yeah. chart. Pop chart, not the yeah. dance chart. No, this is a... Yeah, and beautiful, beautiful. No manipulated charts because they were really sales, you know. The, the records had to be sales. And so the records, the chart system back then was like that. This, there was, I think it was 35% the sales, 35% of um, of the airplanes, and 35% of shops through Germany from north to south who was tipping their, their best tracks, their best-selling tracks. You know, they made a list, you know, written, handwritten. Amazing. And now I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you a story now, which no, only two people know that. Okay, right, quiet, listen. Listen carefully, everyone. Listen Only carefully. Listen. We had a guy in Germany, and his name was Uli. I don't tell his last name, but Uli, Uli was an expert. You know, Uli went um, to the to the big cities, uh, small cities from north to south Germany, everywhere. He went all, you know, because there were maybe at that time in the 70s, there were 1,000 stores in Germany. He went to most of them, and, you know, because of all these shops, they had to, every week they had to, to, to send by fax, to the media control, to the shop office, their top 10 or top 15. And Uli, he made it every week, you know, because he went everybody there, he made these little presents, chocolate and whatever to these guys. He knows everybody in, in all the stores. But from these 1,000 stores, every week only 300 were counted. If the, if the, if the, the, the control office gets 1,000 top 10, only 300 of them were, were chosen, which... Are the high, the highest. So he what Uli made every, every week. He made his Uli's top ten, and he sent it by post with letters every week to all to one thousand shops, you know, to the managers of the shops with Uli's top ten. So he manipulated the charts in that way that if if they see the Uli's top ten and they and they have their sales and they say oh maybe we take one or two or three from Uli's top ten into our charts. And Uli had about, at that time, you know, he had, when I got to know him in the end of the 80s, he had about 50 of his own tracks, not own track, but where he was a publisher. You know, he got percentage on it. And he's, this guy's a billionaire. This is crazy. <laughs> this is absolutely crazy. That's called really manipulating the chart. He it really, really, really controlled crazy. the charts. All from mailing out those charts. Because he writes. Mailing out by, by a letter. That's uh, this is crazy, you know. This, uh, oh my god, yeah. but this is history, you know. It's uh, now, nowadays it's different, but uh, anyway, so um, let's come to the next the next point. What we did, you know, so then um, in 19 uh, 1990, 1990, 1990, yeah, 1990 it was um, 
I was DJ. I changed the. I changed. Meanwhile, I was playing uh, not anymore in Hamburg. Uh, this is a story I need to tell. So, um, I was. You know, I told you I was a, 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 a vice champion in disco mix club scratching. So I went to to DJ shows around Germany in the jury, and I did uh, you know performances. You know before they start their DJ contests. I was in a jury with Ben Liebrand and sometimes, you know, Ben Liebrand. Ah, ben Liebrand, another, another. Yeah, several times in the jury, you know, here in the Rhine, River Rhine area. So I can, uh, Ben is a good friend of mine because good we guy. were sitting in the jury a lot of times. So, and I met, I met this, this discotheque owner. He opened a very big club in Krefer called the Königsburg. And um, I was, you know, at the time in Hamburg in the Volar where I played 55, uh, 85 to 87. You know, I was really one of the highest paced DJ. I, I had 500 German marks for a night and the average money was 150 or 200 marks for a night. Or my, sometimes maybe 300 German marks was really high, but I got a lot of money because when I started in that club, the Walla, I saved this guy from, from bankruptcy. So um, uh, the club was nearly dead and uh, in, a, in between four weeks, there were 500, 600, 700 people coming to the club every Friday, every Saturday, and he made a lot of money. That's why he paid me off, paid me off higher than, than the average one. So in 87, I went down to, to the Rhine area where I'm living now for, for a show, for a jury. And uh, I met, got to know this guy, Giovanni, and he said, hey, I'm building a big club. If you want to come down and have a look. And I said, so uh, once uh, Tuesday evening, uh, I went to a show in another other city on, on the way back to Hamburg. I stopped in Krefeld at this club, which was open three months already. So I can uh, walk in there. I said, hey, Jens, what do you do? I said, yeah, I'm on my way back to Hamburg. Yeah, you come on, I want to come on, I want to play for us. I said, oh, I only have my scratching records. Well, you can use the records from the DJ here from our resident. resident. I said, okay, I'm going to play. I play one hour and... Next day, when I was in Hamburg, he called me. Hey, I want you as a as a DJ here. I said, you only heard me one hour. You know, I need to, I need to ask. Maybe I can come uh, as a guest as a guest DJ for one night. And guest DJing was not popular at the time. There was no guest DJing in '87, so you only had your resident club, and that was it. Or maybe you changed in two or one or two clubs in in, in this in this in this town, but you didn't drive or fly to another place. So um, I one Saturday and the next two in the next two weeks I went there and I played one the whole evening with house music, funk music, and you know I played Guns and Roses in the in, in the peak time, for example, and all these things. It was really crazy. And the guy called me and then uh, he said, "I want to I want you to DJ." I said, I, "I'm gonna stay in Hamburg." He said, "What's your price?" I said, "You know, I told you I got 500 in uh, Hamburg." So he asked me, "What's your price?" I said, "I want 1,500." He said, what the fuck? You are crazy. And then he was stopping and uh, saying, hmm, I offer you 1,200. I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, I said, no, I stay in Hamburg. I, I need 1,500. You know, I leave my home city and everything and blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay. And I was like, not really. I was thinking, you know, not really. And he said, he said yes now to 1,500 German marks for a DJ and for one night. I said to him, well, wait, I have to call my boss. I can't say, uh, I, I, yes, now, and, and then I call you back. I called my boss. And I said, hey, hey um, Carsten, and I have a job here offer. And uh, he said, yeah, Jens, you made my club full. I'm really a, the happiest man now. And if you want to, you can stay Fridays here. 
and you then go Saturdays to five four hundred fifty kilometers away and uh, yeah, it's far enough. It doesn't hurt. Doesn't so hurt. I was and uh, I was the highest paid German DJ that time for one thousand five hundred marks. The boss made that public. You know, he called the press. He called all the the, the, <laughs> the press papers. He came hey, the highest paid the the priest of the DJs, whatever you know, and the. Yeah, this was, and then three months later, he wanted me also Fridays. So I quit Hamburg totally, and I made three thousand German marks on the weekend. You know, this was, yeah, this was in '87. This was like uh, a lot of yeah. money. There's a lot of money back then. A lot of money, yeah, a lot of money. If you see a monthly, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, this is what what happened with me DJ DJ size, DJ DJ wise, and then still the production went on and on. It can in 1990 it came. So I, I did a track, played a piano, bam, 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 and I sampled uh I sampled um uh, I can take the heartbreak, I sampled um um Jocelyn Brown the power and I put them together to I can take from I can take the heartbreak and I can take the power, and the result was this one offshore. I can take the power with remixes by Justin Strauss and uh, yes, Justin Strauss. So um, we signed it to Sony Germany. I pre I got 15 white labels in 1990. So I went uh, that summer, I went to Ibiza. I put 10 white labels in a record shop there on Ibiza. Nothing written on it, it was totally blank. White, white, both sides, no name, nothing on it. So then uh, the the summer was over and there came there came uh, the, the, the winter and in winter uh, somebody uh, call, I, I don't know how it came I think the record company called hey Jens did you did you make bootlegs of the of, of the track I said no why there there are thousands of bootlegs in London around of your track I said what really yes they bootlegged the track but nobody knows what it was because there some uh, there was a UK DJ who bought the track. And uh, it was popular, and nobody know what it. So they bootlegged. They made ten thousand bootlegs, and then Sony UK discovered that they had the rights for offshore because Sony was. Uh, yeah, right. It's Sony, right? Yeah. <laughs> German Sony gave uh, the master to the UK Sony. It came out, and it made uh, it made uh, one hundred eighty thousand copies. You know, it was top ten in the UK. And then uh, they called us a the UK office. Hey, you have to come to to you to London. You have to perform at Pop Up the Pops. I say what? Pop Up the Pops? Yeah, this is a famous show. You know, like uh, like uh, like you have in Germany, like uh, like whatever. You know, you have also chart show. Yeah, I was on it to the chart yeah, show. Yeah, the chart show. So so we went there. We went, hey, we have to do rehearsal first. And then, then hey, you, you need a singer for that. Yeah, but this is a sample. Yeah, but you need a singer. You know, so. Yes. Hold on a second. Did Sony clear the two samples? From no, there's nothing, nothing <laughs> was sampled. You know, even that time, you know, everybody was sampling. You I know, don't know. What I'm saying is, did they clear the Justin? Was it the Justin Brown sample and the Lily the Holloway sample? I can't take that. Nothing. It was. It was. You know. Oh uh, my yeah, god. It was, it was Christine Vincent and Justin Brown? <laughs> I'm sorry, Christine Wilshire, not not Lolita. Christine. Yeah, so uh, oh. I just put it together and uh, yes, uh, we put it out. But the track, you know, the piano line was really, really hooky. So there's there's a live video on YouTube. If you go to Offshore, I Can Take the Power, Top of the Pops. 
<laughs> you can see me on stage, you know, with my long hair and. Uh, <laughs> and wait, let's see. Like, wait, wait, wait. I have some long hair pictures. I have this one, the best yes. pirate there. Look, the he's got the long yeah. hair, and he is in 1992. Look at his long hair. Yes. So <laughs> there was a time when Jans felt that he needed to be the John Bon Jovi look. Yeah. That was a John Bon Jovi look. Right, look, look, look again, everybody. <laughs> yes. This was 1992, you know. I had well, it was those... around that era. Around that yeah, era. Yeah, it was, it was but look at him. Yeah, yes. This was acid, you know. I made. I also made a, a, the first, another uh, second maybe, or whatever. I made a, a track called Are You On One Matey? I made it with a Prophet 5 in the, the acid sounds because I didn't know how to use the Theo 3. So I created this acid sound with a Prophet Five, you know. Wow, it's okay. Yeah. So we made it and signed it, and then it made it. It, uh, it was in the German charts as well, you know. And then I created the Beat Pirate. This is a pseudo pseudo for yeah for that. So uh, yeah, this was funny thing. The acid times, you know. And ah, I tell you another story about acid house. <laughs> Yo. Now we coming something to something forbidden, you know. I made a big acid party in in the Königsberg in Kreppelberg and. Uh, I hired, you know, um, Colin Favor uh, from the UK, very famous DJ. He's already rest in peace. But uh, I hired Colin Favor that night, and um, and I I said to um, there was a, 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 a DJ also was working in, in the club. Uh, he made the big gay events. I said I said, hey, me, yeah, you can get one liter of purples. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I can get that. And then I, I bought one liter and we put those poppers into the pop machine on the party. <laughs> so, so we made the acid party with one liter poppers in the pop machine. And 2000 people. <laughs> Going crazy. They don't even know why. They don't even know. I see. I see. This is Scar. Scar. This yeah. is Scar. Yeah, crazy yourself. This is uh, uh, Acid House music. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we also uh, learned how to use the 303 and all these things. Coming back now to this offshore thing. So me and Peter were in the studio. And it was then uh, uh, the I Can Take the Power was over with all of the charts. Uh, I made a demo. You know, I, I, I call it a piano track, a demo, put it on tape. I said, hey, Peter. We sent this to Jocelyn Brown's management and see uh, maybe we can get her as a vocalist. And uh, you know, she said, "Hey, you're crazy, you're Jocelyn Brown." She said, "Well, it's not." And uh, well, and, you know, let's try. You know, we, go, we, we can yes or no. So, and we sent the, the to the management the tape with a demo version. And then um, a few weeks later, uh, we got a call from the UK. Hey, Jocelyn heard your track, and she likes to to do uh, the vocals on your track. I said, "Whoa, what the fuck, crazy, Jocelyn." <laughs> You know, I was very fucking young, you know, I was so young. I was uh, well, because you gotta understand also, you know, all the big records she sang on, yes, indeed, all those big yeah, hits that was yeah, yeah, in, in, in a life, in a yeah, life. I mean, in a life, all those records, and she was also doing on, on music, I think, you know, and uh. Well, yes. the truth now, the management cleared things. I know she won first class flight and everything, hotel, five star, blah, 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 blah. And uh, yeah, it, but it was that, that, that. It was nice, you know. And then she came and uh, I picked her up from the airport and she, oh, I said, hey. 
I said, yeah, I'm Jens, I'm the DJ, blah, 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 I'm the producer. Oh, yeah, never you like. She was also not so old at that time. She was older, but not like she's now. Right. It was, right. so still, this was 30 years enough. ago, you know? Yeah, still young and enough to do what she does. And we took her to the studio, and she said, oh, I have written the, 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 the lines already for the track, and yeah, we start. And then she started singing the first warming up, and, I heard, and she started rehearsing for when we put the track on and she started and i was like oh god i was lying on the floor like whoa yeah <laughs> uh, crazy was she it was amazing you know and uh yeah so that's how the whole to get to know jocelyn brown this was the us copy with the remixes from e smooth and maurice joshua yeah no most maurice's Say uh, Maurice, I don't know if it's Joshua was. Yeah, Maurice Joshua. That's Maurice Joshua. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that time, so yep. this was US, US, uh, US pressing for that, and it was pretty nice, you know. Yeah. So this was uh, the story how I get a disco diva, and I asked her about it. She said, "Well, I already started in Woodstock, you know." Uh, I said, "Really?" I said, "Yes, I started in Woodstock." Said, "Said, wow, crazy." And um, yes. Um, then um, that was the time when uh, when I finished almost with house music. But at that time in 80, 89, 1990, I started, you know, I was um, more, there was a, a music starting coming from Belgium. It's what was called New Beat. New Beat was a pre-techno music. You know, we had house music. We had acid house with the Detroit stuff, which is, was really, well, I was really a fan of Derek May stuff and all these things. But I also loved the the, the Chicago track stuff, what was coming there from uh, Fortune and then all these guys, you know, and what Chicago did was really cool for me too. And then also, you know, I like also the, the New York kind of house music, you know, like the Boy Jarvis stuff, what was coming uh, on that side from Easy Street and all these things, you know, Mafumbi and stuff. So, uh, but um, I also loved, you know, the new style from, from Belgium. And that's was, what people really know you for. Like, they know you, where you're going to, where you're coming from now. The younger generation is going to know this now, this yeah, time. I think so, yes. So I know you, I know you from the other stuff. The yeah. other <laughs> I mean, I know your techno background, but I know you from the other stuff. But I know the younger kids that were coming up will remember this stuff now. Yeah. So then 1990 came and uh, I'm, because I was living here, you know, I, I started to get to know my, my, my partner from this, that period, Ramon Zenka. With Ramon, I made a lot of tracks, you know, and, uh, you know, I went to, to the label, which was based here in near Cologne called BCM Records. And uh, I, 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 was, uh, I was still producing in Hamburg, but I was based also then uh, I had an apartment here down because I was, I was DJing the weekends here. So I had, my, my apartment here down also. And then I I said to the label, hey, do you have a studio where I can work here? Do you know somebody? Yeah, yeah of course. Yes. It's a, here's a G&G studio and, and cast. And uh, this is near Dusseldorf, Cologne. And uh, I went there. I said, hey, I'd like to do an, an acid EP or new BDP. I said, yeah, you can we can do this together. Why not? And you can already start with our, uh, with our how do you call this guy in English? The guy who is learning the studio work, uh, Alona, the beginner. Inter- intern. The interest. Yes. Yeah, with a and the meet Ramon. Uh, I said, okay, right. I tell you, Ramon, I'm Jens. I'm a DJ here from the Königsburg. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very. He was just 18. He was looking like, 
like uh, like the guy from Depeche Mode uh, the, uh, with his hair, you know, and, uh, <laughs> like in the eighties, you know, the eighties typical new wave ha hairs, and so and then we started to doing some tracks, and we were, we made ten tracks, but they took only one, and they made the house track called Two Time Boy, which is also very famous, and um, but it's another story because the a cappella was sampled a lot of times, and then I said, hey. I want to do a techno track, you know, so, and then we, uh, I was playing a lot of times the Anne Clark, you know, Sleep and Metropolis. Uh, and Anne Clark has this typical synthesizer sound. And I said, okay, let's, let's try to copy that a bit and do our own thing. And then uh, I found this vocal from, uh, from uh, Lenny D, no, not Lenny D, um, the other guy, and the techno wave has grown yeah, with a style of his own. Frankie Bones. Frankie Bones, yeah. We said that techno wave has grown. And then the result was the first interactive. Interactive, the techno wave in 1991, I think, or 1990. I think it's 1990, it's, uh, yeah, interactive, the techno wave. So that was the beginning of the project interactive. Yeah, and um, the club, you know, went crazy. When we played this, you know, we made a video and at 12 o'clock, uh, the, the screen came down. And the video we showed, we showed the video, and the people uh, were dancing crazy to techno. They were on, on the on the on the speakers like <laughs> they were playing dancing like this. Was was really crazy. And then it went on and on. We made two or three interactive singles. And then 1991 came. Techno was was getting bigger. We had the Love Parade uh, two years ago, 1989 first, and 1990. Uh, I was there in 1991 the first time, and then. Yes, yeah, so uh, we, Maramon, I, I, I stopped working in Hamburg. I, so I said, Peter, sorry, but um, I am uh, I'm moving constantly to, to Düsseldorf. And uh, sorry, you have to find a new partner, you know, but, you know, I can't drive to Hamburg all this time to producing. But, you know, I have, uh, yeah, so I started uh, working with Ramon. And I said to Ramon, hey, we should do our own studio, not working all the time there, but, then we have to not. Then then, they, then we have our own publishing and uh, on own composing and on everything, and uh, it's more money for us. So and then uh, we made production for several labels, independent labels, and also. So this maybe. is the question now I have to ask, okay? Because we're learning about the younger generation has a lot of ways to learn about the music business. You said something interesting just now. We're going to make, we're going to have publishing and we're going to make more money. How are you learning all this? You know, explain because, that. To yeah, yeah, I can tell you because Peter Harder and the one you showed, I told you, he showed me from the beginning how, how, how the income works. He showed me that, you know, as a composer, you get 30%. It's always the, the, the income from airplays on, from everything, you know, it's not from the, the record, the record uh, for, from downloads or, nowadays or back from the record copies it's from when you get airplates this is why the lifetime money so 30 percent goes for the composer who's making the music 30 percent goes to the writer who's making the lyrics from the production and 40 percent goes to the publishing the publishing the most producers and djs on producer and nobody knows about publishing but publishing is the most the most money if you but if you have texts and, and composing and writing it's 60 percent. but if you have to split the publisher you know all the big publishing companies or smaller apartment they try to to catch the producers and the artists 
hey, you are in my come to my publishing, and they say, oh wow, you know, I'm with a bad, a bad publishing, but they really don't know what the publishing is doing. They take your money and then and they say, hello, yes, we have forty percent now, and you can say uh, I'm in your publishing. No. An advice for everybody's and uh, producer and uh, who is listening now to me: What you gotta do is uh, do your own publishing. You know, it's not it's easy normally to make. You know, you go go to your to your company and uh, to, to uh, which is comp uh, which is uh, responsible for your country. In Germany, it's the GEMA, and America is the ASCAP. Mm -hmm. in, in in Holland, it's the Stemra, and Italy is whatever. You know, every SIE, Italy, all of you. Yeah, every country has his has their own uh, company who's collecting the money from airplanes. So, and um, if you uh, just do this, uh, get the, the the paperwork, what you have to to fill out to do your own publishing, get mm -hmm. your, give your publishing a name, and then you're registered. So, when you have a production and you sell it or sign it to a label, you have to send always writer, composer. You know, that's you. And the publishing, that's also you. So you get 100% of the money. So otherwise, this money is lost. This money goes nowhere because the companies, they, they only keep the money for you. And if there's not going nowhere, this money stays in-house in, in somewhere. So there are millions and billions of dollars, of dollars money. which not paid out. I know. And there's another story with mechanical rights. This is another This is, this goes to far now. Just, you know, all you guys out there who do, do, do your own publishing. And maybe you know you have more. You have a big publisher then who wants your to to buy or your publishing or a minister a fifty-fifty deal. You know that's that's then they maybe you get ten thousand euros, which is a lot of money for you. But don't forget from this money you get to get to pay tax tax. Then it's maybe only it's only six thousand. You have to pay sixty, forty, fifty percent tax. So it's only the half of the money, and this money is gone. And after that, your fifty percent is lifetime gone. So this, the publishing money is lifetime. You know, every time your song is played, it gets money on your bank account. And if you're dead, it gets for your children, for your, for everybody. You know, it depends who uh, owns uh, when you're dead your your rights, but who your own publishing. So that's the point now. Um, so we came now come, coming back now to to me and Ramon, and uh, we uh, we had we had done. Uh, we uh, we went to America on tour, and oh no, I, I went to America to for the music new music seminar. I bought a, another nine oh nine. Came back to Ramon. I say, hey, I have a nine oh nine for us here, you know. And then we click on the the nine oh nine, and then boom, boom, and then boom, smoke out of the machine. Say, what the fuck? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because. <laughs> <laughs> say it in German when you say that. Say exactly what you what, what would happen. What would how would you say it in German when you saw this? Is it imploded? Yeah, right. Explosion. Explosion. Why? Explosion. Yeah, because you know, in uh, in the states you have one hundred and ten volts. Oh, because the power. Pro you said we have two hundred twenty. <laughs> you plug in the water. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> burn the machine, burn the garbage. <laughs> so that was the nine nine. So I had to go <laughs> to repair the, the new transformator, or whatever they put inside. <laughs> yeah, well, and then we uh, yeah, uh, I bought uh, the SH one hundred and one, 
and uh, one year ago, but I took it to the studio and we tried the SH-101. I said, hey, come on, let's test what the, uh, the Roland SH-101 uh, is doing. And uh, I put it, plugged it in into the mixer and then I was uh, trying to the sound thing and I thought, wow, 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 wow. I said, wow, look the sound. Saw bass line, wow, 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 wow. I said, what the fuck is this cool? Just give me the beat, you know. He made the beat on the, on the night. I was playing. Wah, 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 wah. So I made the first bars of the beat, and then uh, yes, uh, and then uh, we made the we sampled the House of God loop, uh, and I said, yeah, now we need a vocal. Give me the mic. I said, who is Elvis? And I said, who is Elvis? Who is Elvis? Wah, 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 wah. So and then uh, yeah. All our all our record labels <laughs> had already put productions from us. And they said, "What the fuck? You know, this is too underground for our, our labels that we work for." And I said, "I'm mean, let's do let's do our own label." I said, "Yeah, yeah, okay." I had an idea where we call it No Respect Records. Okay, that's cool. So then uh, we started with No Respect Phenomena. No Respect Records. Phenomena. Who is Elvis? N R R zero zero one. This is the first pressing from uh, yeah. So and then we uh, we pressed uh, uh, five hundred copies and they uh, we went to a distribution. You know because I know all the distributors due to my bootlegs. <laughs> so I know all these guys. I say hey, we start a label now. You, uh, we made an exclusive deal with Discomania here in Germany. As it was one of the biggest distributors. So then they took the 500 copies and they, three days it was gone. They called, hey, the, the copies are sold out. We need another, do 1,000. So we pressed 1,000 and then five days gone, they called, hey, the copies are sold. We need another 2,000. Said, what the fuck? Okay, we pressed 2,000. Seven days gone. Hey, this the record are gone. We need no more 2,000. So it went on and on, and then, and then uh, you know, I came to my to my local store where I, where I bought my all my techno imports, and in the, in the window there was the sign, "Who is Elvis sold out?" <laughs> I said, Whoa, crazy. Sold out, everyone. Sold yeah, out. So we made ten thousand. Then now we came, well, we went uh, to the label Dance Street. You know, Dieter Stemmer is he's, uh, he was worked he worked together with Zux Records. But he, uh, and he was working as an A&R at BCM, which was the German, uh, they, they, they signed the first uh, Chicago stuff to, to, to Germany. And Dieter made his own label called Dan Street, and uh, we were there, we signed Interactive with him. And we came there and we said, hey Jens, Ramon, you have a new, you have a new record out, it's called Who is Elvis? So yeah, 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 this is going to be a big monster hit, you know, um, you need to do a cover version as Interactive. And we put it out. I said, what? No, we can't do this because uh, we can't cover ourselves. This is Phenomenia. This is our project. We can't do it now as interactive. And yes, if you're not doing this, I let somebody else do it. And then you lose your head. I said, oh, man, what the fuck? You know, we really can't do this because if we do, if we do this and other labels may just get, get to know that we cover, cover ourselves, then they, the next time when we want to sign a track, they say, yeah, now you sign this with us. And the next next week it comes on on another label. You can't we can't do this, Ramon. Said, but, but, but anyway, you know maybe we are going more into the underground, and then we make no major deals anymore. But because techno is going back, I told Ramon, maybe we just do the label and get big with the label and do no more pop, pop productions. You know, this can make good money. The raves are starting, so 
what was what the fuck? And so okay, we decided then we do it, we cover ourselves as interactive. Who is Elvis? And it yeah, uh, the success was really, really big. It made you know 175,000 copies as singles, and with compilations, maybe two, three, four, four million, you know, who's Elvis? And we made it slightly different. We had a video and everything. Yes, this was uh, the beginning of No Respect Records. And uh, yeah, so um, now we come back to a theme called Bootlegs in 1992. We and Ramon, there was a love parade, 1992. We made a bootleg called this one, Revolution. And the B-side was like um, Strings of Love. And it's not Strings of Life, Strings of Love. So we sampled uh, Derek May and... Uh, um, of life and put the Beatles on love, love, love. And on the A side, we have we say you want a revolution and they made a techno track. And this Two was big problems, Beatles yes. samples. Yeah, so we made this, and then uh, um, um, the thing was, you know, before that, I signed my first deal as Jens Lissard to RS Records, you know, RS. JD Plastic Dreams. Yes, RNS. And made my first solo against Lizard Project, Energy Flow Eternal. Oh, this wow. Nice. The, the, first, uh, the first one was Blue. This was the remix. The first was Blue. So this was uh, the first big hit on RNS records. And uh, we also did it on No Respect. This, this was the white label, which I still have on Energy Flow Eternal. Yes. And um, due to that, um, he asked us because of this bootleg. Hey, we need to we need to do this as officially. I say, okay, let's do this. And then uh, he invited us to Belgium to Engent, where RNS was, uh, and uh, and he's, he organized. Do you remember thousand forty five, right? Yes. And uh, with the Beatles and and uh, the guy in Holland who sang all the thousand forty five Beatles songs, he booked this guy for our for our for our project. So we came into the studio and I said, hi, hello. I forgot the name. Hello, my name is Uhu. That was a gray-haired guy. Uh, I'm warming up my voice. I said, okay, okay. And then he was sitting on the piano. Imagine there's no people. And I closed my eyes and I really thought John Lennon was sitting there. Really, wow. this guy was so close. It was incredible. Crazy, right? No, he, he said, you know, it was just a few vocals, like love, 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 and say one. It was only two takes, you know. It was one hour, and then it was done, and we put it all uh, officially on uh, on on RNS records, you know. So uh, <laughs> made good money. So this was uh, yeah, 1992, and then the next uh, interactive era um, thing after who is Elvis uh, on interactive came. Uh, we made a song with our crazy singer. Was you know we had a singer in, in, into in, interactive now. It was our friend Marcus, and while we were on who is Elvis rave tours in the morning when we came from the shows, he was always crazy, you know, doing crazy voices. He said dildo, dildo, dildo. I said, what are you talking, dildo? He said, yeah, dildo, 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 dildo. I said, and I said, come on, we better make a song called dildo. So we made interactive dildo. <laughs> <laughs> so and this was went into the German charts, but what was more further is this one was the biggest techno hit in Mexico, 1992. So they booked us for a Mexico tour in 1992, and you know when we came to the concerts, 
that was crazy. You know, I was not on stage with Interactive because I was always the DJ. I said to Raman, you go on stage with Marcos and I'm, I'm, the, I'm the DJ. You can, so, so you can make money with the shows, with the band. I make the money with the DJs and then we share the incomes from the record sales and everything. So um, so we came into to Mexico and, to, and they had these big halls, you know, it was like, like arenas. There were 5,000 people in this arena. For the first time in my life, I saw in the arena um, La Ola. You know, in the arena, they were starting like La Ola, hey, through the whole arena. I said, what the fuck are they doing here? They go, yeah, the esto es en La Ola. I say, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so, and uh, I first saw in my life, you know, in the first row, they using the they were using electroshockers to hold the crowd back from the stage. I said, hey, what the fuck? That's crazy, right? Isn't that crazy? You know, they have to, he said, what? Looks like they do electroshocks, you know. <laughs> and then we went onto the Mexico tour, and uh, that was really crazy. You know, like we bulls. had two dancers, you know, Marcos and Ramon on stage, but we had two two blonde German girls as dancers. You know, they were dressed like like S and M, you know, and uh, really good dancers. And the, the, the people wanted to climb on stage. You know, this was. Crazy, crazy things, you know. Oh my God. Yeah, also, on YouTube, you can see videos from Interactive Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yes. And the, the, the time went on. And another follow up was something like, like Amor and the B side. Coma was very big techno heads. We made project like this, E tracks. We made several pseudos, you know, with uh, we had pseudos like this. And then one of my biggest tracks from techno was this, Jens Lissard, The Future. One of the biggest techno tracks, yes. That's, yeah, that was on uh, the techno story so far with techno. And then techno went back a little bit. I get, went into, into trance things. And uh, yeah, then came, uh, yeah, the 2000 came. I was starting with, uh, I had a new I had a new partner. And then I started to do uh, electro kind of things, but not the kind of electro what you're doing today or electro what was back then Miami hip hop. But the new electro sounds, you know, right. like with synthesizers. And then I met Voltax in 2003. And uh, uh, we uh, started a DJ duo in 2005, Lissard and Voltax. Uh, with, yeah, we went quite popular in, in, in the kind of house music, what we were doing. We had a lot of number one tracks on Beatport and... Uh, yeah, we were on on two room artists. Uh, we were on spinning records. We went. We were all on all on the big labels. And then 2011, the change came. 2011, 12 with EDM, and we were you know thinking, uh, are we want to do EDM too? Because you know, many house DJs started doing EDM because this was where you get DJ bookings, and the house bookings went really really down. So uh, no more, they booked no more house DJs because they wanted EDM and the big festival started and everything started. And uh, we did one, one or two EDM tracks, I think, and sold it to labels, but this, I hated to produce it. I, I was not EDM, you know, I never, this was the music was, this was not my kind of thing. So um, yeah, and then uh, the years went on uh, to make it short now, 2015 came, um, yeah, and I quit with Vortex because the, there were no more DJ bookings. You know, you know I had shows with um, with my classic techno sets, but for Lisa and Vortex, it was really tough. You know, because 
the summer season house music where we played all the years before the clubs they booked the, the resident played Liam and once a month they booked a very big name maybe if you're but in, in, in a medium EDM name so this was also a point you know where Marcus said eh, I can't survive anymore you know I need to do something else and I started then 2011 I started tactical records my own first own label Besides that, from the 90s, no respect records. Now I started again with a house label, tactical records, slightly building through the years. And 2013, 14 was really bad. And so I said, well, is it really makes it really sense to continue with that? But I tried to, you know, I had some nice artists then. I started, you know, building friendships with artists. The tactical went. And then in 2015, a guy from Holland sent me tracks. Hey. He said, hey, I'm Audrey from Holland, you know, and uh, can I send you on the Facebook Messenger? Can I send you? Yeah, yeah, why not? And I signed, uh, I signed the first Block and Crown to Tactical Records. And then, uh, yeah, in uh, 2018, I said to Audrey, hey, why don't we do a label together, you know? And then we start to do the first label, Next Gen Records together. And then we made another one. And then meanwhile, we have 10 labels together. You know, Artwork mm -hmm. is very popular in Funky House and New Disco on Beatport. You know, he's one of the biggest, he's the biggest seller on Beatport, I think, uh, uh, in uh, what the download sales mean. And uh, he has aliases like Luca de Bonaire, whatever, you know. And then my other partner in labels is Richard Gray, also famous house DJ. We do a label together. And uh, yeah, I started doing also in 2013 or 14, I started doing a, te a techno label. Because I came from techno also. And I said, okay, I like to do techno also. Then I started at Studio 3000 Records. And then 2018, I started a tech house label, which is now turned into a, a progressive melodic techno label. I run about, now, uh, let's say, 15 labels. I manage five other labels from other, other people. I distribute them. And yeah, well, we are having a good position in, in the market. Uh, it's not so easy, but... Uh, it's working, you know. Good. What I'm doing today, you know, so, yeah. And as I told you in the beginning of our show, you know, as Jens Lissard, I'm techno act. And as Lissard, only my last name, I'm the one who's doing new disco and funky house. Tell me this man doesn't have a lot of different genres <laughs> of his cult. Yeah. Uh, we talked already about two hours. We're almost yeah. for two hours. Yeah, no, you're doing yeah, very good. We could extend it another one hour with a with a new new school, what I'm doing with the label Hang thing. On, let's and, show let's show let's show the picture. That's yeah. Yeah, today playing up into COVID, of course. Yeah. With Pioneer. So that goes to show you that you know what? When you're talented, you have lasting power and good business sense. You must have good business sense and, right, and yeah. some talent, yes. Exactly. Talent is, and you know, it's a, the passion also. You know, what keeps me really doing this is the passion. The talent is, is, is also very important, but you know, the passion, you know, and combined with the talent, yeah, you know, it's my 40, uh, 41 years now behind the decks. You know, I started 60, I'm 57 now. So I, I I could go on forever, ever as long as I am healthy, you know. So right, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And the thing is about the disco thing. I, I told you already before before we started this. I'm doing the biggest German disco party with my partner, uh, once a year. And uh, we will have you in the next two years, Lenny. We will have you as a guest 
on our disco party. Trinity Revival parties. The Trinity Revival. Trinity Revival. If you search on YouTube for Trinity Hamburg parties, you find a lot of videos from the back from the years where we posted YouTube videos and a lot of things. It's really, really good. The people, they adore disco. It's only on vinyl stuff from 77 till 1980. No, nothing, no funk music, not 81 or something, just until 80. That's nice. Even Lime is too commercial for it. No, it's not. <laughs> to me, Lime is not really disco. Lime is dance music. That's after yeah. disco. Yeah, and I was joking, you know, but you you're know, right. The real, the real disco stuff, you can anything from Janice McLean, you can play everything, you know, like the, the like Pussy, I love the Pussy and all these stuff, you know. Come on and do it, do it. Yes, do it. All this stuff. Oh, by so, the way, I can make a little. Uh, if if, uh, if some people like to check out what I'm doing with disco, I just uh, last year when COVID started, I started a mixed session and radio a radio session also. They are called Disco Kicks. And uh, when I record my Disco Kicks shows, I always record 20 seconds videos and post them as shortcuts on on Facebook groups like 354 and Legendary. Blah blah blah. I post. And if you go to Mixcloud slash Lizard, you find house music. Shows funky sessions with funky music from 81 till 85, and you find about 20 disco shows. I mixed already 50, but uh, I uh, online because they are monthly broadcasts and on radio, so that's why um, we are at number 20, at number uh, volume 20 now. But I have done a lot. <laughs> this is really, really nice stuff to, to check out, and still, you have more to do. You still have more. You're still not finished. You still have more in your up your sleeve, don't you? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, of course, yeah. I will. Yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Jens is retiring. No, no. 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 Jens, you know what? I can stand and I can hear, you know. Uh, uh, you don't need to see, but if you can hear and feel something I feel, for, with a passion, you can present uh, music to the audience. Here's a question for you, Jens. Did you ever think going back, you know, 17 or 18 years old when you started, did you ever think this would be a career for you? Like a long career? No. Never, never. Right? No, I didn't thought about that, but I knew uh, that I wanted to do this. And uh, very early I found out next, you know, I was doing my school things and after school, you know, I was not learning things for school. I was learning to mix or make music. So I very early found out when I was 17 that I'm going to be a DJ. You know, I was playing the best, biggest club in Hamburg when you're even, I wasn't even allowed at 17 years old, you know. So <laughs> I said, wow, you know, what, what I am in, in my home, in my home base where I wanted to be all the time. I'm the DJ now with uh, here and I play for, for people. Yes, it was you see, that's a great feeling. You know, you went yeah, from think that kid, long, you know. Yeah. You went from the kid you know, in, in the school to the celebrity Hamburg DJ. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> the first part. I'm really, I'm really happy about this life, what the, what life brought to me, you know. That's really I'm really thankful for that. Really. 
Jens is also a great producer. He's been doing a lot of ghost production too. He mentioned oh, earlier yes, yes. to me. He's been doing a lot of stuff for a lot of people. So it's like, go Jens, go. Somebody wants a ghost production, just uh, don't hesitate to contact me over Facebook or whatever, you know. I'm available for New Disco, Funky House, Tech House, Techno, and Progressive Melodic House. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know you know where to find me. <laughs> yes, you covered everything. Going yeah. back to from this guy, look, from that young guy with the boots, all the way, all the way to this guy with the tattoos. Same guy. Just smarter. And older. <laughs> yeah, thank Jens, thank you so much, brother. You're the best. Amazing. Amazing. Ama Rafi D said, great show from Odyssey 2001. He was listening. They were all listening to the show. Great show. <laughs> all right. See, okay. and now from one legend, from one German legend, okay, now I'm going to bring another American legend next week. Ray Piggy Velasquez, oh. Vanguard Records. Ray Piggy. From Vanguard. Yes, Ray, Pink, Ray Pinky Velasquez next Wednesday right here on True House Stories. And also, we're doing, everybody keeps saying to me, you got to bring more women on, Lenny. And I heard the request. And we're doing a special Sunday just to show the tribute. I'm bringing on the legendary Roetta. Roetta is coming on. She's going to tell all. She's going to hold nothing back. She's going to be just like Jens, tell it all. <laughs> Roetta, big time, happy Mondays, all those great big hits. She's got a lot to say. Jens? Yes. We want you to stay safe. You want to bring your dog on? Bring your dog on now and bring the dog if you want to show the dog to everybody. The door is close to the living room. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jens, have a good good night into you. Yeah. Good night and danke. And thank you for, for being your guest. And uh, maybe we should do in uh, volume two then. Uh, in 2040, yeah, in 20, wait, wait, in 2040, which is <laughs> we will have Jans again and ask where he's up to now yeah. <laughs> or yeah. where we left off to now. But yes. we will bring Jans back for sure. Organize, thank you. We organize a disco party in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Jans, thank you. Have a great night around right. the world, everyone. Okay. Jans, don't move. Don't move. Everyone around the world, thank you again for tuning in to True House Stories. See you on the weekend and next week.